Hello, and welcome to the Realm of Unknown. I am your host, Shane, and today we have a rather special topic to discuss in this episode. But before we begin, I want to have a short little announcement that next week's upload may or may not be delayed or possibly shifted back to the Unknown Report. I am going back to classes come Monday and this weekend and into next week. I will be setting up a my little section within an overall gallery show, so I will be a lot busier. And as I am adjusting to this new schedule, I just may not have time to fully record and edit a full episode with all the roommates coming back and classes starting up. So I apologize for that in advance, but hopefully it doesn't come to that and I will be able to get another episode out for you guys. But with that being said, without further ado, let me introduce today's topic, and today we will be discussing the Philadelphia Zoo. Now, the Philadelphia Zoo is located within the Continental District of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's located on the west bank of the Schuylkill River, and it's the very first true version of a zoo in the United States chartered by the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania back on March 21st of 1859. Its opening was actually delayed, however, due to the American Civil War, and it was pushed back until July 1st of 1874. The zoo opened with about a thousand animals, and the admission price was only 25 cents, which in today's standards is very, very low, because last time I went there, it was about $25. For a brief time, the zoo also housed animals brought over from the safari on behalf of the Smithsonian Institute, which had not yet actually built the National Zoo. The Philadelphia Zoo is one of the primary zoos in the world for breeding animals that are more difficult to breed in captivity. The zoo also works with many groups around the world to protect the natural habitats of animals in their care. The zoo is 42 acres in size and is the home of nearly 1,300 animals, many of which are rare and endangered. And for anyone who hasn't visited the location before, fun little special features are also included within the zoo, such as a children's petting zoo, a large little duck boat lake, and a rainforest-themed carousel, a balloon ride, which I am terrified of and shall never partake in, and many other interactive educational exhibits. Now, a brief little history on the zoo. When the Philadelphia Zoological Garden first opened the Victorian gates on July 1st, 1874, it welcomed in about 3,000 visitors and stood as the only institute of its kind within the New World. The zoo began with a wide array of species containing 200 mammals, including buffaloes, deer, wolves, fox, bears, monkeys, as well as a few dozen bird species and a little over a dozen reptiles. The reptile and small mammals were housed in the Solitude Building, a mansion-like building constructed by John Penn in 1785. This location is essentially the original reptile house, if anyone has been there today. A carriage house was also located at the entrance for horses who were transporting visitors to and from the zoo. The landscaping and architecture mimic a Victorian garden atmosphere that is still represented in the present zoo grounds which is totally something you can notice if you ever visit today. Depending on where you are in the park, though some places are a bit more modernized, so if you are like, what is he talking about? They, they, they are still updating it. The zoo is a few hundred years old at this point. The Penrose Research Laboratory was also established back in 1901. It's the first of its kind in any zoo, and the Penrose Research Lab helped contribute to the reduced rate of disease among zoo animals. 
along with increasing vigor and longevity among species. The Philadelphia Zoo has helped make many strides when it comes to animal care, rehabilitation, and management. The Institute has played a hand in some of the first successful births of several animal species within a zoo throughout its history. They are also pivotal in the support of endangered species programs, helping research and funding their own, in order to help and assist species struggling or are in the verge of extinction. Now, this is just kind of like a side little discussion topic, but there are obviously animal deaths on the location. The zoo has been there for several, several decades, and this just happens. In the early morning of December 24th, 1995, a fire in the World of Primates building killed 23 animals, including a family group of six western lowland gorillas, a family group of three orangutans, four white-hand gibbons, and ten lemurs, all of who were members of endangered species. The animals died in their sleep from smoke inhalation. None, however, were burned. Ten primates housed in the adjacent building, the Discovery House, managed to survive. At the time of the fire, however, detection equipment existed and only about 20% of the zoo buildings had them. The primates building, which had been constructed in 1985, however, was not one of them. On December 29, 2016, Zenda, the oldest African lion within the U.S. zoo population, was euthanized following the sudden loss of appetite and failing health. Zenda was 25. And on February 20th, 2018, Cody Locks, a 37-year-old polar bear, was also euthanized after declining health, including potential liver and spinal problems. The average life of a polar bear, however, is around 23 years old, so Cody Locks had a very long and lasting life. And those are just a few prominent cases. However, animal spirits have not actually been reported within the location, at least not from what I have been able to discover. That being said, I feel like this is something that should be brought up. Animals have died throughout the zoo's history. Again, duh, it's been there for a very long time. So perhaps some of that energy could still be stirring about. That being said, animals have also been said to be unsettled by the sorts of activity throughout the zoo. Activity that we shall dive into right about now. Okay, so there's a lot that's going on with the Philadelphia Zoo, and despite how big the location is, a lot of the buildings are actually rather new or renovated in recent years, and due to that, a lot of the older buildings are actually the culprits of a lot of the paranormal activity within the location. Now, the zoo has a very open plan. A lot of animal exhibits are outside or have an outside part of their enclosure. So for the most part, a lot of the activity seems to be focused on certain indoor locations, and for the most part, seems to only happen at night. So sadly, you're not getting any paranormal activity with your price of admissions. The Philadelphia Zoo was rumored to be built on an Indian burial ground, which is never a good sign, and has several areas that are said to be heavily haunted. However, I cannot fully confirm with any firm evidence of the ancient burial ground. It could easily be true, I just could not find any documentation to support it. If I do, however, you shall be the first to know. First on our little tour of the zoo, we have the building known as the Solitude House, which was once used as the Reptile House, as mentioned earlier, and was erected in 1784. It actually predates the zoo around it, and is said to have an array of strange phenomena within its walls. 
The sounds of phantom footsteps, voices, and old-fashioned music can sometimes emanate out of nowhere, often from the dark basement, and there is said to be an apparition of a woman wearing a white dress who lurks about the stairway. A worker once went down to one of the storage rooms within the basement and her flashlight caught a glimpse of a misty white figure, although of a misty white figure. Although seconds after, upon doubling back for a follow-up glance, the figure was gone. A woman was also reported to be seen walking down the staircase from the second floor, dressed in 18th century attire. There are several reports of the attic light flickering on and off on its own when no one is in the building, and workers claim that the attic door will sometimes apparently lock without anyone's knowledge. Some guests have also complained about being tapped or having their hair pulled by an unseen hand, and there is a ghostly male voice that purportedly tells people to go away. Many have come to believe that this voice belongs to the spirit of John Penn, who was the one who originally constructed the building. Another haunted building at the zoo is the Shelley Building, which houses animal administration offices and classrooms for various educational programs. Doors in the building are said to open and close on their own, and a ghostly face allegedly has the habit of peering out through the windows, with staff members claiming to have seen curtains moving from across an indoor window across the room while at the front desk, only to spot a face peering out from the other side. Now I believe, and I cannot fully 100% confirm this because it has been at least 12 years or so since I've done this, but I believe I actually slept over the Shelley house uh, during a Boy Scout camping trip with my local scout group, along with my dad and several other people. Our section of the group was split off. I remember we were sleeping in a building primarily used for education. However, my only firm memory of this event was the peacocks of the zoo sleeping in the tree outside of the building and the Shelley house kind of stands on its own so I cannot fully confirm whether or not we slept in this building or if we slept in a different building that just happened to have the exact same layouts and office spaces and classroom-esque aesthetics so I don't know nothing really happened then I didn't even know the location was haunted back at that time I wasn't even into that type of stuff But, I mean, if something weird happened, I'm sure I would tell you. I would remember if a face peered out of a window while I was sleeping in a zoo. That's something you would keep for many years. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Moving along, however, there is also the Penrose Building, a former laboratory and veterinarian facility that we mentioned earlier in the episode, established back in 1901. The building is prone to lights flickering on and off, or turning themselves on and off. Roaming cold spots are also reported throughout the building, and is supposedly inhabited by a spectral woman that can be seen wandering about throughout the building. Around 10 p.m. one night, a staff member was walking near the Penrose building when she looked up and spotted this female spirit in one of the windows of the library section. The spirit had long blonde hair and was emanating a bright white light around her body. When the staff member locked eyes with the spirit, however, the spirit simply backed away from the windows slowly, which is... that is not... I, I would be terrified. She ran away quickly, so I would be the exact same case with me. Some reports seem to link the activity within the Penrose building to that of a poltergeist, but that can also just be people simply lumping paranormal activity into a general term. I can't really find any pure evidence that says that a poltergeist is actually haunting the location. Now, the last of the zoo's more prominent haunted locations, and one of the last spots that we will be discussing on our little tour, is a place called the Treehouse, which has which was once an animal pen, but is now used for a variety of events. The treehouse is a name given to the overall building. To clarify things, it's not just some random treehouse within the zoo. The location is actually a rather large building that houses a massive fake tree that kids can climb through and slide down, along with other attractions such as small little areas for toys, a large dino egg area that you can sit in, and animals and so forth. There's even like a giant caterpillar type thing that you can sit along and take photos with. It's actually pretty cool. The treehouse building is allegedly plagued, however, with ghostly footsteps and a thick, palpable sense of unease that descends over those who come there. A sighting of an apparition has also been reported walking up and along throughout the main room of the treehouse building. So I've been to the zoo practically since I was super young. I don't know exactly. My mom could have easily taken me when I was a toddler or an infant, but I have some very early memories at the Philadelphia Zoo, and pretty much every single time you would go and you would visit the treehouse section, especially if you're a kid. And I remember at certain points back then, they also had the prairie jogs in the front, so it was always something you wanted to see because they were very active. And the treehouse area, thinking back on it, definitely had a weird feeling. I don't know if it was anything paranormal, but it was definitely something... I mean, it was a fun spot, don't get me wrong. There was always kids running around, there was always people there. Thinking back, there was always like an unsettling feeling, especially when you were up in the treehouse. Me and my cousins and my siblings would always like do hide-and-seek stuff within that location in and around the big tree itself. It's, it's pretty big if you've never been there. And there's always this, whenever I was there, like, that whenever you're by yourself for a second, just just a second, because there's, again, so many people there, you do kind of get, like, a sense of, not dread, as mentioned, but, like, just unease. I don't know how to fully explain it. The last time I was there was in the springtime of 2018, and we didn't go into that location. Thinking back on the times that I did, I can definitely confirm that it's kind of unsettling, despite how fun the building is. It's just kind of an uneasy feeling. 
So besides the named locations that we have gone through, shadowy apparitions and disembodied voices can also be heard and seen throughout the zoo. Cold and unsettling sensations, human and less identifiable shapes can also be spotted moving around within some of the buildings and have been spotted around the zoo grounds by both zoo staff and guests alike. However, again, most activity seems to be on the rise at night, which kind of stinks. Like, you're paying so much money for a ticket at this point, might as well get some sort of special treatment from the ghost. But unfortunately, you would have to stay after hours, which is not really allowed. So as a little fun fact, this supernatural activity that seems so prominent around the zoo has actually made the location rather popular among paranormal researchers, and it was actually the topic of an investigation done back in 2010 on an episode on the Sci-Fi Channel's very popular paranormal investigation series, Ghost Hunters, which I never knew about, which is shocking since I watched that so religiously back when I was in middle school. And the episode itself is actually really fun to watch. I went through most of it up until the end because I don't, I don't like when those sort of shows go through the evidence because it makes you feel like they're kind of giving you the answer. But I was surprised, and I don't remember again watching this one, how active this episode was. The crew definitely had their hands full, basically from the start of the episode. They had doors opening and closing, knocking and tapping sounds, disembodied noises, cameras moving on their own, and a lot more. I won't spoil anything too big or interesting, just go and watch it yourself. Like I said, it's really good, and it's a really good investigation and episode. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube or Vimeo, but definitely check it out and support the crew. I don't even know if that show's still going on or not, but it was it was a fun thing to watch. And it was definitely something I wish I knew back in the day. Now to wrap this up with something that we discussed back in the Clinton Road and Dark Watchers episodes, I like to do some explanations to possibly explain these things because again, I'm not at these locations. I haven't done investigations for the most part on my own, so I can't fully confirm or deny anything that's happening because I haven't interviewed people, I haven't been to the location for this purpose. But some of the explanations while going over this research, just through a skeptical mind, I can definitely create a few. Now obviously, there are a lot of noises, like I mentioned throughout the episode. There are knocking, there is tapping, doors opening and closing on their own, squeaking noises in the distance. Some people report hearing like a humming sound or disembodied music. These strange sounds could possibly be explained by the dozens upon dozens of animals within the facility because again it's a zoo and obviously there's so many animals there you know perhaps some are just making noises that you don't fully understand as a zookeeper I'm sure you could probably eventually get used to them but if you're new or something or you're just visiting the location you might not be aware that certain animals can make a wide array of noises the zoo is also located along two rather busy streets. I know it's on Gerard. I forget what the other street is that it's located on. However, it is a very active area. Cars are driving by at very fast paces throughout the entire day. It's Philly. People are honking and getting mad at each other all the time. And it's located, again, pretty close to the Schuylkill in the Fairmount areas. So there's people out and about. It's very loud. It's very hectic. So noises are going to be made. Now, the zoo does go pretty far back away from them once you start heading deeper into it, but noise can always travel, and if it starts to get faint, then perhaps 
it could explain some of the tapping or light banging sounds that people hear that upon investigations they can't find an explanation for within the building or location itself because it never originated there. Now the mist-like figure found and spotted by workers within the basement of the Solitude building could also be a naturally occurring thing. Looking through some photos and looking through some of the information that is provided on the Solitude house, it's a, again a very very old building. And the basement slash like tunnel area which was used to connect the kitchen and the staff rooms to the main building is very old and it's a brick made basement. It's also very very damp from what I can notice and it's filly. It can get both hot and cold so that sort of temperature fluctuation can always cause some sort of like mist or accumulation of, of water vapor within the air. I know at my house back home in the suburbs, our house is only like a hundred years old or so. It's mainly cement basement and we have a very bad humidity problem. Like there's always it's always humid down there, it's always very, very wet. So you always have to get a dehumidifier. So I can only imagine what it's like to have a brick area with like a dirt floor and a zoo built like a hundred years prior to even that. So perhaps the mist is simply just due to the humidity of the location or perhaps some draft got in through the tunnel areas because again you know, it's a very old place so there might be some cracks that you know kicked up some dust or kicked up some vapor. That could explain why people are seeing a shape that is there one second and gone the other because it's moved on. Even some of the tapping noises can also be explained, and it's actually, while I was watching the Ghost Hunters episode, they were the ones that kind of explained it in some cases. I kind of kind of understood it because of the tunnels, the way they were explaining it, are situated. The tunnels run underground and connect the Solitude House to another location back in the day, so the tunnels are not technically under the house, they extend out from beneath it. So people walking and moving about outside can actually cause some faint sounds down below in the basement tunnels. They, in the episode of Ghost Hunters, they, they did test this stuff and it was very faint. The two investigators that were doing this, one jumped up and down a little time, and the other one down in the basement did say that she did, could hear some of the faint noise. So I can definitely probably feel safe saying that that's kind of true. I don't know how true any of these shows are from what I can notice from photos and what I can see from information that I've looked up myself. It, it's pretty reasonable. I mean, they have carts and stuff that move throughout the zoo. They have workers constantly going in and out with like hundreds of people in and out throughout the zoo each day so there's going to be foot traffic there's going to be noise and if it gets muffled or just makes some shifting sound underneath while you're in the tunnels as a staff worker that could be kind of jarring if you don't expect it or if it's super loud and it becomes faint but seems prominent within the tunnels i suppose that could explain some of the weird settle unsettling feelings that you get while down there and for the most part, that kind of wraps up our little tour of the Philadelphia Zoo. I apologize that it's kind of short. I wasn't able to do a whole lot of research on the location since not that many people seem to report things, but also they say it's rather prominent, but then also people don't post or report or write about any of their experiences, kind of. It's really weird, and it actually took me quite a while to get even this information, and even then it was only from a handful of sources. So unfortunately, I wish I could give you more information about the paranormal activity. However, I kind of 
delegated that time to give a little bit of the backstory of the location. As again, the Philadelphia Zoo is so prominent and has such a long and rich history to it. Let me know if you guys enjoyed this episode and enjoyed discussing something that I personally have been to. I definitely want to talk about some more spots, like I mentioned in the previous episode, such as Laurel Hill and Eastern State Penitentiary, both locations that I have visited and done some investigations at. And I would love to discuss more spots in and around Philadelphia. I love the city and I love a lot of the locations that it has. All the buildings have such rich history to it. And I would love to discuss some of the paranormal activity that may be tied in with those locations and buildings. But again, this is me wrapping up the episode and rambling on because I never know how to end these things. But if you guys enjoyed, you can reach out to me with your own stories or suggestions or reviews at my email at realmofunknown at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram at realmofunknown. It is capitalized on twitter but i don't think that really matters i'm posting on instagram a bit more as well and if you follow me on both platforms i always post photos and evidence relating to the locations that we discussed in these episodes along with the episode links so if you want to see some of the photos or see some of the locations that were discussed such as the solitude house and the building in the basements down below it check me out on twitter and instagram and i'll have those up rather quickly And as I mentioned from last week's episode, thanks to Anchor, we are now across, I believe, eight platforms at this point. So you can find our little discussions over on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast. I really hope very soon, Apple Podcasts. Apparently it is up there from what I can notice, but it's not at the same time. So if you do want to check it out, go to Apple and type in Realm of Unknown. I should pop up. So if you want to leave a review or something, you could. I don't know why it's like half up half not it's weird to explain but again i hope you guys enjoyed and i hope to see you guys all next week when we have another discussion again it may or may not be a unknown report due to a busy schedule but i'm hoping that it's not because there is a fun topic that i want to discuss with you guys that i'm going to save a surprise for next week until then i hope you guys have an amazing time and remember to stay spooky